this computer. Okay, I think we're recording. Are we recording? Yeah. I always wanted to do that. They always the pretend you don't know you're recording <laughs> to open the recording. All right, what's up, guys? Uh, it's Ryan Mullins here, CEO and uh, co-founder of Aglet. Um, I'm here with uh, with Azim. What's up, guys? And um, yeah, we started this little podcast uh, from sneakers to the metaverse, and we went last week with um, episode zero, episode one, I guess, if you're in the U.S. Um, and there, we just kind of introduced ourselves. Um, I gave opportun the opportunity to Azim to give you a little bit of his background and all the cool stuff that he's done and what he's accomplished mm -hmm. and so far in his young, young career. And uh, a bunch of you reached out on Discord and were, were pretty impressed. And obviously, that's why we brought Azim on board. Um, how's your week starting off, man? So far, so good. We got some good stuff planned for the week that emails will be going out and some phone calls and partnership opportunities that we have that are going to start getting worked on that I'm excited about. Yeah. Even just one of these pulling through would, would make the community go crazy. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, we had a very long call. Well, actually, I think mostly the day today was mostly calls um, <laughs> going through some some uh, some ideas that, that we got. And we just announced on Instagram probably of just a little bit ago, I think an hour ago, this, uh, what I think is a really cool company, Soulpack. Um, wish I had Soulpack when I was a kid. I totally would have used that, um, used their products. So basically Soulpack is, you know, kind of a backpack accessory where you can throw your kicks in um, and sort of tie those onto your backpack. So super dope. And, you know, in conjunction with The Last Dance, um, we um, scattered uh, some stuff out in city of Chicago so we'll have a player who will be able to win a Chicago Bulls uh, soul pack accessory for their backpack. So um, pretty sad that the last dance is ending. Yeah. Um, I loved, uh, I actually haven't seen the last two episodes. I'm in Europe and Germany right now. So um, those show up on Monday for me. So I'm going to be watching those tonight. Did you have a chance to watch them last night? No, I didn't. And I heard that there's another four hours of content coming out on Wednesday. though. I, I didn't look into it in detail yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm looking, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so today's episode is going to take a little bit of a more, let's say philosophical turn. Um, so, you know, in the title, uh, like we mentioned sort of at the last, you know, during the last part of the, the, uh, the first episode, we talked a lot about the metaverse or we mentioned a lot, the metaverse, um, and even how we're, you know, positioning this company. Um, and the podcast is really an exploration of this, thing called the metaverse um, and what that what that is actually and what it's not and what's required to build it um, and this is something this is a concept that's been in kind of the nerd space of nerd history uh, for quite a while in um, like digital technology and computing um, very early on there was a paper by a guy named Mark Weiser um, who wrote a paper on um, called ubiquitous computing this came out in like the 90s I think it was like 92 um, and there's a guy named Ted Nelson who had some very early ideas for uh, what the web would look like before Tim Berners-Lee actually developed the web at CERN in, you know, the early, very early 90s. Um, and then there's also this famous, uh, you know, Vannevar Bush with his idea of the Memex, M-E-M-E-X. We'll link in the show notes um, to all these papers and all, the, all this stuff. But um, you know, there's this really weird concept of, of the metaverse that everybody's been talking about. And even now within 
entrepreneurial circles and, and software development, people are starting to talk more and more seriously about the metaverse. So that's what we're going to explore in this episode. Um, and, um, you know, I'll, at least in this episode, last time was a little bit more interactive. Um, this time will probably be me rambling a lot uh, about <laughs> a lot of ideas. So um, we've, we've kind of said that Azim's going to kind of serve as a guide here or the, kind of the Gandalf of this discussion to kind of, in classic storytelling narrative fashion, be the mentor that kind of jumps in and, you know, yeah, stops Ryan, me. Ryan, Ryan just knows the metaverse in a way that I don't. And so yeah. I'm here to learn as well. So exactly. And, and um, yeah, he's going to stop me. And, you know, if I mention some concepts and he's just like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Or can you explain that a little bit further or something like that? Then, you know, uh, Gandalf can jump in and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and help us out. And I'm sure I'll need it too, because once I get going on topics, I tend to just explore rabbit holes everywhere. So um, how I wanted to start off though, was talking about um, my background in philosophy. So, you know, I, my two big dreams very early on, my first big dream was to be a director actually. So um, I wanted to be, you know, my fir the first movie that I really fell in love with and studied like every possible thread layer and, you know, character development, all this stuff was, was back to the future. Um, and back to the future is important for a number of dis different reasons for me. One, because it was my favorite movie, like I said, but also because the, the Nike maggots appeared in that movie and that was what really got me into sneakers. Um, but also there's, you know, in back to the future part two in particular, there, there's kind of some metaverse type things that are, that are explored there that are pretty fascinating. Um, so my second dream, though, after I realized I'm better at talking about and analyzing films than actually making them, um, was that I wanted to be a, a, a philosopher. Um, so, you know, I pursued philosophy um, in through graduate school. And since I've been here in Germany for the past, you know, eight years or so, I actually did, you know, three master's degrees while I was here, all kind of around philosophy or kind of, you know, philosophy in the contemporary world, um, philosophy of kind of the internet and software. Um, and so what people often ask me, though, as kind of the CEO of a of an app um, and a game is what does philosophy have to do with, you know, virtual sneakers or this kind of silly game that you're building? Um, and how I often explain this is that if you really look at most of the, I think, the most interesting and in influential and impactful CEOs and entrepreneurs of a lot of software companies, you'll find that they all pursued philosophy pretty seriously. Um, so Stuart Butterfield, the uh, CEO of Slack, if I'm not mistaken, has a, has a background mm -hmm. in philosophy. You know, Steve Jobs took Eastern philosophy very, very seriously. Um, Peter Thiel and uh, Reid Hoffman both studied philosophy at Stanford. Um, so you can see how, you know, they're, in, I mean, Peter Thiel's um, and uh, Reid Hoffman at PayPal, actually, you know, you couldn't work there unless you read uh, Neil Stevenson's book, Crypt Cryptonomicon, which happens to be my favorite book. Um, and Neil Stevenson's important because he actually came up with the word metaverse, um, which, by the way, um, both um, Ready Player One and um, uh, I'm blanking on the other book. What's the other book that... Um, uh, Snow Crash. So Snow Crash is where he mentions the word metaverse, but Ready Player One and Snow Crash are actually two books that you have to read if you work at Aglet. So in fact, Azim can testify to this because when we were, were talking uh, about joining the, the team, I even asked him, one of the, the first question I actually asked him was, have you read Snow Crash and Ready Player One? And, and he had that. obviously heard of both of them, but he hadn't read them yet. And so before we even, I think, continued talking, he had already gobbled up both books 
I think yeah. he read the Ready Player One book and then heard the Audible version of one of them. I, I watched, I, yeah, I watched the movie too for Ready Player One right away too. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so so we actually take this you know quite seriously because there's a certain kind of mindset that's required, and that mindset is actually kind of a philosophical mindset. So, why I think successful entrepreneurs have a philosophical bent is because philosophy is ultimately concerned with um, you know humanity or you know being an individual and your place within the whole or your place within the world, right? So three things. It's concerned with what's the nature of man or what's kind of what's human nature and human behavior. And then what is, what is this thing called the world or this reality that we live in? And then the third thing is the relationship between a human being and, and communities and, and, and that world that you have a, that you have a theory on, right? So we, we move around in this, in this crazy complex world, you know, in cities, um, we meet other people, we have friends, we have frenemies, we have enemies, you know, there's, there's um, all kinds of different um, institutions, there's objects, both physical and virtual. And so life is kind of this very complex adaptive system of, of people and objects and ideas and all the interrelations between them. And so that's kind of what you get is reality is this complex system with man and all these objects and they, how they relate to each other. And every so often you'll get these new technologies that emerge and those, those new technologies um, kind of like rupture the state of things. They, they disrupt the status quo and then they reorient how we think about and relate to the world, all those objects and other people. Um, and in the last you know, 50 years or so, what we've seen is networked computers very much like radically upended the world. And that's the context for um, uh, Mark Andreessen's article, Software is Eating the World, right? And I think he published in uh, 2011, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article, 2011, software is eating the world. And then later kind of grounded his and Ben Horowitz's, um, uh, venture capital firm, um, A16Z or Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and so what you had was Mark Andreessen early on was the founder of Mosaic and, and, and later Netscape, right? And that was like the first consumer facing web browser that took the web beyond just kind of geeky academics sharing like physics papers with each other. This was really more about how can a consumer, more of like a platform and the web browser became a space where people could create websites, um, create new kinds of content, and then ultimately build businesses. Um, and so what you've got is, you know, Mark Andreessen being someone that he's one of my intellectual heroes, but, but he's the hero of a lot of software entrepreneurs because he really set in motion most of the way that the internet and the web and how we use it evolved today. Um, and so what I think is the best way to understand how we build up to the metaverse is to then look at all these different phases that we've been through so far. So you have web 1.0, which some of you are young enough, I think, listening that you may not even really remember much of this, even though you use Google you know, back in the day, what the web was, was really just, you know, a bunch of websites. And um, those websites and web pages were, you know, machine readable, and they're, you know, they're basically um, can be governed by algorithms. And so you had, even before Google came out, you already had like 25, 26, 27 different uh, search engines. So then Google comes out with this page rank algorithm, and really was the best what they did better than anything else, even though their website was just this blank thing with a search bar, was that what they did better than anyone else was search 
this ridiculous amount of information that was out there, these web pages that were out there. And they just dominated because it was so much better than anything else. So web 1.0 was all about, here's this vast near infinite space of information out there. And it's way too much for us to handle and get access to all of that in a meaningful way. So what Google did was create this filter that kind of returns that information back to you in a way that is one, it's aggregating attention. Um, but secondly, it's making collecting all the world's information for you to kind of act on. Right. And so um, why that's important, the aggregating attention is because ultimately they perfected um, the advertising model for how everything went. So it's, how do you make uh, web pages machine readable, apply algorithms to them, and then aggregate attention to advertise? That was essentially web 1.0, and that's what Google won. And then you had web 2.0, which came along, which was really more about how do you digitize social networks? So Facebook was great at this, right? They went on, you know, Harvard's campus. Really, it was about, you know, the Facebook and sort of ranking how hot people were and stuff like that. Um, kind of started off as a little bit of a toy and a joke, but then, you know, ha 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 joke is on everyone else. They became the most powerful company in web 2.0 and ended up, you know, basically connecting the entire world. Um, and so what was interesting about the, the second phase of the web was that um, you digitize social networks and then you just apply ba that same basic formula from web 1.0. You make social networks digital and machine readable. You apply algorithms to them and then you advertise. It's the exact same model. And Facebook won that. The difference here was that three different kinds of technology really dominated in this era, and that was mobile, social, and cloud. And why, that's, why the evolution is so different is because in Web 1.0, it was really about a mouse, a monitor, and a keyboard, where you like sat down at a desk and you went online, using the inverted scare quotes here, you, um, you went online and then you kind of went offline and you left the desk. And mobile social cloud was you kind of just were constantly online. You just kind of took it everywhere. Um, and so Facebook and, you know, Twitter and, you know, a bunch of the other companies that started off as social networks as browsers, but then later migrated to mobile really around 2012, they kind of won that. And they continue to win that. And so what, what companies have ended up winning there are the companies that um, have developed the hardware that serves as the device um, through which you access uh, that information, right? So laptops and desktops were the dominant uh, hardware in the first, um, first phase. And then in the second phase, you had smartphones. So you, you, know, you have basically Apple has dominated that and then a bunch of the OEMs that produce Android. So it's all about the hardware and then the software that then grants you access to and makes um, accessible this vast world of information out there, whether that's web pages or whether those are human beings that you can reach, right? Um, and now the question is, what is Web 3.0 and where are we going in this evolution? And maybe more specifically, what does a post-smartphone world look like? Um, and this is, you know, I mean, we're a mobile game, obviously. It's a geolocation-based mobile game. So, um, Nonetheless, we're still thinking, obviously the, the smartphone's not just going to magically uh, disappear one day and then we're all using a different kind of device. I think smartphones will always be here, just like there's still people using um, iPods, there's still people using, you know, older smartphones and stuff like that. So I think the smartphone's kind of always going to be here um, and it will always probably play a role, at least for, you know, the next, the next decade or so. 
Um, but we had PCs, we had laptops, you know, phones, iPads, we had consoles, and all those things serve um, as the entry point that does connect us to um, this, uh, this sort of reality of information. And so when we ask what comes after smartphones, it's, it's two questions have been offered, and it's usually virtual reality or augmented reality. So Facebook, the winner of Web 2.0, made a bet, you know, what was it, three or four years ago when they purchased um, Oculus from Palmer Lucky. Um, after, I think, one year of a Kickstarter campaign that they ran, got really successful. They released a couple development kits on Kickstarter, and then app, um, Facebook ends up acquiring them for about, a, I think it was a billion dollars, right? Yeah, about a billion dollars. Um, so they acquire them. And the bet that they're making there, again, think of the structure of everything that I just said. The, the, the argument is that, you know, Facebook doesn't make any hardware. You know, they tried to make some phones, which were, were pretty ridiculous, but they didn't actually make the hardware. It's like a Facebook logo kind of thrown on there. But now they make a play for hardware. And the bet is if we take and build upon our winning of Web 2.0, which we basically then own the social graph of the world, and now all the social networks are digitized and we own basically the algorithms that connect everybody. Well, then all we have to do, all we have to do, but um, is if we purchase Oculus Rift and then what we're doing is actually owning the hardware now that will serve as the piece of hardware that connects everyone to this next phase, which is the metaverse. And you're starting to see some early signs of this. Um, which is um, in the, if you guys use Oculus Quest or the Oculus Rift, um, they have something coming out. I'm a beta tester of it called um, the, uh, the Horizon, Facebook Horizon. And that's essentially their version of the Oasis and Ready Player One. So there's one take on what the metaverse is. One take on what the metaverse is, is this kind of virtual reality. It's this um, virtual environment um, into which Basically, everything in reality is kind of mirrored virtually or recreated virtually um, in this space into which you escape. So you literally throw on these goggles and it's kind of, you know, the, the, the sensors and, you know, we don't have to go into how, um, how everything works from a hardware and software perspective, but you essentially have this, this space that's created for you and you can kind of live out your life um, in various ways in this virtual environment that Facebook, you know, owns and creates. Um, and so that's one, one version of where stuff can go in Web 3.0. Um, and then the other side of that is kind of more of Apple's take, and you know, it's actually my take as well, is that augmented reality or mixed reality will kind of serve as the next, the next phase of Web 3.0. Web 3 and augmented reality is when you're, you basically have some, again, some piece of hardware. Um, right now, that's mostly um, uh, a smartphone. Um, but other, you know, Google released the Google Glass. I'm sure we all remember the glass holes. Um, but you have a, Those were terrible. Those were terrible. Yeah, absolutely horrendous. But they've actually, what's interesting is they've now found a use case. So they're starting to become, I don't know how many they've sold or how useful these actually are. But um, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard that much like HoloLens, the use case is very much a kind of B2B or a, um, like a, a repair use case. Um, so I know in a lot of like, um, airplane engineering and, and everything like that. Like using, that. Yeah, using it, you know, if you like, so if you think of companies like Improbable or um, 60 AI or, you know, I think Niantic just bought them. But if you think about, um, you know, if you can create a, a mirror or a virtual airplane or something like that, 
And then how you're learning actually how to repair that properly is, you know, you're using augmented reality to then manipulate those objects and learn how to do that correctly. Like that's a very, very powerful use case. You can see other applications in like, you know, uh, surgery or, you know, in Iron Man stuff, basically Iron Man type stuff, but you know, like actually learning how to, how to, how to do surgery and, and shit like that. So that, that's also very interesting. So, so, so then augmented reality um, is now you're getting into Microsoft. So they own HoloLens. Um, we've been reading the last couple weeks about um, uh, Apple's hardware that they're going to be releasing. There's a guy named John Prosser, who, um, who does a lot of the leaks for Apple stuff. Um, so he, he's been releasing a lot of stuff. He says he's actually seen them. Um, he's got a pretty great track record, actually, of Apple leaks. So, so Apple's going to be releasing their own augmented reality glasses, probably, you know, 2022, I think, more likely now. Um, supposed to be 21, but I think Corona kind of threw that off. So anyway, so you've got, you've got an additional layer basically being projected on top of reality. So Pokemon Go is a great example of this, right? You're walking around, you can activate AR mode, you can throw these balls at the Pokemon that are sort of placed in reality or layered on top of it. Um, And this is the segue to kind of our take on the metaverse and what we think it is, um, because we're, we're much more aligned with the side that views the metaverse as not too dissimilar to kind of what we're already seeing. Um, We don't think that the metaverse is going to be this like, completely different space that's created that we all kind of escape into. So there's been a number of science fiction films that have explored this. Now, if you think of like kind of in some way, very similar, like Wally, um, it's not so much about the metaverse, but you kind of have these humans that escape on the spaceship and basically get really fat and just sit around and, you know, look at ads and, uh, <laughs> and, and content, you know, there's the joke later that the guy didn't even know there was a pool on on the, on the ship. Um, so this is ba- another movie called Surrogates with Bruce uh, Bruce Willis. It's actually a pretty atrocious movie, but the the ideas are really powerful, and that's essentially that you've got humans at home with a surrogate, kind of a robot surrogate, kind of going out and about living for you. Um, and so this is all about us doing nothing, and then it kind of escaping into these worlds that we live a second life, which you know was the perfect name for the for the company that came out a long time ago, Second Life, that still is running to this day and still has revenues, but now is, I think, more of like a, a meetup for a lot of like sex communities from what I'm hearing. Um, what? Yeah, so so Second Life, there's actually an article, we'll link it, let me just take write this down real quick, so I'll link this. There, there's this great article that came out like, like two years ago or something, I remember reading it, um, and it's all about like, what is second life right now? What is it like to walk around in the game? And yeah. basically it's you know, like kind of like a ghost town. There's just nobody really there. But then you start finding these like underground spaces within the game. You might find some scraggler that's kind of walking around, but then the person is arguing that they serve as like gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like almost like trolls to you, sort of testing whether or not you're supposed to be there. And yeah. then you sort of find these other spaces and that's where everyone meets up. Hmm. it's kind of like did you ever see the movie us no i think it was we what's that movie called it was the um oh are you talking about the one that jordan peele did yeah is it called yeah yeah, i did see that i did see that german it's called Wir. we yeah it's called Hmm. us you kind of got like underground you know the underground space that is you know in that movie but here it's like these 
I don't know, these like sex communities or whatever. So that's like the main dominant space for the people to connect with each other is in the second life universe. So we'll link that in, in the, in the show notes. Um, so anyway, so it's, you know, what I've mentioned now is, is, you know, kind of wireless glasses. Um, those will essentially be the hardware that's going to connect us to um, this web th- or that'll serve as sort of the foundation for these, for the, for web 3.0. So the wireless glasses, and then, you know, who's going to win that? Um, seems like Apple's probably best positioned to win it. I'm sure Google will come out with something. I'm sure Samsung will come out with something. Microsoft has HoloLens. Um, you had Magic Leap, um, but from what I'm hearing, you know, Magic Leap is, isn't really going anywhere. Um, somebody's probably just going to buy that up. Um, doesn't seem to me. If, I mean, if, if Magic Leap would have done something interesting, I think it would have already happened. They'll sell for um, pennies. Yeah, so they'll sell for pennies. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not too bullish on them. Um, anyway, so, so that, so, so augmented reality will serve as the, the main sort of theme or concept for, or technology really of this new metaverse. And so then what the question is, is a post-smartphone metaverse then is not, we escape into some other reality, but that our reality itself is augmented. So a great way to think about this is um, the island in Fortnite or the island in Animal Crossing. Um, and that sort of serves as, this, as, as the reality of those games. But again, you're, you're sort of sitting in a place and you're going to that, um, that island in a virtual reality. And you know, it's not a knock on it. I'm not like, judging it as bad. I mean, I play both of those games way too much. Um, two of my favorite games of all time. So I love it. There's a place for it but I just do not think that that's the metaverse. Instead, I think the metaverse is going to look much more like Pokemon Go or or anything that Niantic is doing. Um, So that means you have wireless glasses. Right now it's a smartphone, but again, we're talking post-smartphone world. So you're going to have wireless glasses. And what that does, interestingly, and this is a philosophical point, is that then virtual objects and physical objects sort of become equal partners of reality, right? They're on the same what's called ontological footing. So right now, when you start thinking about, you know, back member long time ago, like if you met someone online, people thought that was really weird. Um, Or like even e-commerce or email is sort of this like diminutive form of, of reality in some way. Whereas now the inverse has happened. It's like, if you, I don't even think I remember how to send like an actual piece of mail. Um, and most of the people I'm friends with and meet are all online now. So if I actually meet someone in reality, it's kind of weird. Ryan and I haven't actually met in person. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. And so we haven't even met. And remember that great, I don't know if you remember this tweet someone put out, it kind of was floating around a while and people did their own little meme uh, remixes of it. But some guy posted, this is so hilarious. He, he said something like, or he wrote something like, um, I was in Starbucks today and saw a guy sitting there drinking his coffee with no laptop, no smartphone, nothing, just drinking his coffee like a psycho. <laughs> I was literally <laughs> going to say that's a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I think that, the, you know, the what's abnormal and what some people have said is sort of strange about our game is while people are paying you know, X dollars for a virtual sneaker. Like, what are you going to do with a virtual sneaker? Or, you know, wow, crazy Fortnite made $3 billion in 2018 on 
mere cosmetics. You know, those do not give you any advantages in the game. Um, or, you know, how much are people paying in Animal Crossing? So all this stuff that we're purchasing in these virtual environments that have significance for us and meaning for us, um, I, what we're kind of betting on as a company too is that, you know, this, again, virtual objects or virtual goods and physical goods will enter a, a time when they're on the same ontological footing. You know, there's, you're, you're manipulating physical objects, but you're also manipulating um, virtual objects or digital objects as they're projected onto reality, right? And so this is where things start to get really, really interesting. So the, the hardware, though, that enables that are these wireless glasses. And so now being able to interact with these things um, requires a lot of um, uh, bit flow. So this is where the 5G and the fiber optic connections um, we need super, super high bandwidth to be able to enable these things. So if you're going to be interacting with these things and also remember permanence. So if I'm walking down the street in New York City and I see uh, you know, a, a, uh, some kind of an avatar on reality who's like guiding me maybe to one of the aglet hotspots or something and then Azim shows up next to me and he's got on his glasses, is that object permanent in the sense that both Azim and I can both see it at the same time? You know, because, because right now in Fortnite, it says that we're all watching, uh, you know, a DJ Marshmallow concert or a Travis Scott concert, but actually they're just instances. So then there's even time delays between those. So I think there's, I can't remember the exact numbers, but like there's a certain amount of people that can be in an instance. So there's probably like a million different, or a hundred, hundreds of thousands of different instances of that concert that are happening and you are one of those instances. So it's not as if, you know, um, like on a Zoom call where you, like you are there and everybody on the call is kind of seeing, you know, Azim. It's, the, it's you know what I mean? It's like the same thing. These aren't different instances yeah. of, of Azim. There's Azim with the camera pointed at him and we're all seeing it. So that's where we have to get to with these objects is that if there's an object positioned somewhere that the, it's not an instance of the object, but actually that object has some kind of permanence and it's there and we're all, you know, we're all projecting it, but we all see it at the same time. So if I, if I cop a sneaker, then it's gone. So no, you know, no one else is seeing it. Or if I put it back, then everybody has to see it. And so this gets then into kind of mapping technology and why, you know, LIDAR, is, is so important. So LIDAR is the technology. It stands for light detection and ranging. Um, so the new iPad Pros that just came out um, now have a LIDAR sensor on the back of the, on the, back of the camera. The iPhone uh, 12 Pro and 12 Pro Plus will both have a fourth sensor, and that'll be a LIDAR sensor. And it's also the technology that's used in all the self-driving car technology. So um, my hypothesis is that one of the reasons why a lot of the tech companies are pursuing um, uh, self-driving car technology, in particular Tesla, remember Elon Musk also started a new company called Neuralink, which is about a whole new way of interacting with the world of information. So some people are looking at wireless technology like a, a headset or a smartphone. Elon Musk is saying that hardware is just the brain. So he's trying to figure out how to explore implants within your brain that just hook up to the world of information, you know, kind of a proper transhumanist perspective. But then he's also got Tesla 
which is probably the most advanced self-driving car technology at this point. And so why that's important is because LIDAR is, is essentially mapping, uh, mapping the world. And so now you've got an object that's not conscious being able to map and make decisions as it constructs a map of reality. Um, and so that map is crucial, which is why, you know, we at Aglet are also thinking about the metaverse is we're using a very primitive, you know, form of the map, but ultimately where we're trying to go with this as maybe we'll get into here soon is, is being able to create the kind of game game layer or a game operating system that's layered on top of reality. So you've got wireless headsets, you've got high bandwidth and, you know, 5g fiber optics, um, and you've got uh, LIDAR technology and, you know, basically AI and machine learning. So you need cheap AI that maps where everything is and is positioned in the world. So that's why game engines are so crucial. So if any of you have played, let's say, No Man's Sky, No Man's Sky was kind of disappointing at first, but it's evolved into a pretty compelling game. And what was so compelling about it for me was that the game um, generated programmatically the entire world kind of as you advanced. So it's this infinite world that for each player, as you progress through, it's generating programmatically the universe, which is, you know, super fascinating. Um, and so that game engine, um, as we saw, you know, the Unreal game engine that, uh, the Unreal 5 that Epic just announced, and, you know, the graphics are, are incredible. But I think the company probably best positioned to create something like the metaverse, um, even though I'm not convinced it's the right way, I think they go more to that virtual reality path. There could be a hybrid there, but it seems like in this stage, it's kind of they're pursuing more that virtual reality path, which is they have this virtual environment, Fortnite. They're doing a lot of interesting stuff. They have the ability to have the Unreal Engine, which people can start creating content for these worlds. Um, and that, you know, that game engine itself um, and you know, kind of the AI and the machine learning there that's being generated. And they bought um, the... Um, uh, what's the name of the uh, the Twitch competitor type thing um, that they bought? House Party. Oh, oh House Party. They bought, okay. they bought House Party. So now they have kind of the community side as well, I think, to, to compete with Twitch. So I think Epic is very, very well positioned to be able to build something like this. Um, and so the fourth component of this would be the content and the assets that will populate the world. So, you know, this is where I think Snapchat is very underrated with their, you know, their Lens Studio you have Niantic, who has a you know a maps platform that they're building out that I think is super super um, compelling and will be very important going forward. Um, they're connected to Google, obviously, so they have a lot of power and resources there at their disposal. And you've got a, a London company called Improbable that's just amazing. Um, and so you know this the content and the assets that populate it. You know, remember old companies back in the day, Azim, that were talking about like, okay, nice digital content. Um, that's great. We have a lot of content, but who's going to digitize it and who's going to be creating all this content for, for the web or for, yeah. um, you know, for digital platforms, who, who in the hell is going to create that? Nobody wants to watch content from some amateur. Um, yep. and so basically no, none of them realize that the answer is, you know, us, um, which is why I guess we were times person of the year, you know, you, so all these people out there who had zero skills in creating digital content, the first YouTube video was even like a, I think a picture of like a lion at the zoo or something, something dumb. But imagine going from that video all the way up to the kind of really complex content that's being created, kind of businesses that are being built, the brands that are being built, 
you know, and the cultural impact of, of YouTube. So we went from a lion video all the way up to a new, completely new form of content, format of content and new businesses being built. And the same thing is going to happen in the metaverse where you'll have this kind of virtual labor where people have zero skills right now creating the content and the assets and the businesses that will be projected on top of reality by this new hardware. And so that's when you get, you know, who's going to create all the content and assets that populate this augmented world. And the answer is going to be us. You know, you'll still have businesses that do it, of course. Um, but ultimately it's going to create a bunch of new kinds of jobs, new kinds of skills, um, and, and, you know, new opportunities, I think for people and new startups, um, to be, um, exploring this, this kind of this new realm, um, this new dimension, basically, that's going to be projected on top of reality. So, you know, again, now to kind of, I guess, recap it, it's, you know, it's, you know, what is, what is the metaverse? I kind of went through this long detour of context and, and, you know, talking about what it is and what it's not. Um, you know, I do not think that it's going to be a virtual reality. I don't think it's a game. Um, I don't think it's like, you know, Farmville. It's not like a virtual space that we escape into. It's going to be something like the convergence of physical reality and um, a, a digital um, dimension that are fused on top of each other. So if you think about it in terms of film, ma the matrix is really about escaping a computer simulation to get back to kind of brute dumb reality. Um, and then you've got avatar, which is, you know, uh, kind of escaping a brute dumb reality for a kind of simulation where you live on another planet through some, you know, giraffe looking creature. And then you've got, um, the, and then you've got ready player one, which is called a virtual reality and then a kind of brute dumb physical reality. And you're kind of going back and forth between them. And then I think the fourth movie there is, you know, what we're looking at is like Aglet and is the, and the metaverse, which is there's really no distinction between the two. You know, it, it, there comes a point when if you ask a question, like if you ask the average 15 year old kid, like how much time do you spend online? It's a nonsensical question. It's like asking them, what does the number 10 smell like? Yeah. You know, or if you come home from, you know, your consumer electronics store or, or Amazon, you buy something, you would never say like, hey, honey, I, I just bought a color television. <laughs> um, so yeah. we're going to get to a point where this question of the difference between physical reality and digital reality is not going to be so clear. And they were just going to kind of converge and when, the, when that digital reality is projected on top of it, it's just going to be so seamless and obvious that, again, like a watch on your wrist after a while, you just kind of don't even know it's there. Yep. Um, and so that's what we are thinking about as the metaverse. Obviously, we don't know, but you can start to put the pieces together and, and, and start, I think, start to construct the patterns of where we're going to go in the next couple decades. Um, and I think there are patterns there in history, which is why I kind of traced out these different phases of computing models and stuff like that. And so when we're thinking about Aglet, you know, we do have this, I think, this really great game that we've just released. Um, and we're, you know, it is a, a game that's like Pokemon Go meets uh, almost like a virtual footlocker. But as we alluded to at the beginning of the call, we've got massive plans on where we want to take this thing. Um, and it's, you know, it's more than just, it's, it's more than just what, what, what the world's currently playing on the game. Yeah, it's much more than that based on the conversations we've been having for some months now. Yeah. Um, 
and so I mean, it's just maybe kind of a little teaser. It's it's yeah. not if you start to like how how are we building the metaverse, and, that, and that's why we even titled the podcast from sneakers to the metaverse is that it seems kind of crazy. Like mm-hmm. okay, you guys are building this little game. Like what do sneakers have to do with the metaverse and this kind of stuff or what do virtual sneakers have to do with it? And it kind of has everything to do with it, I think. Um, but you know, we've, we've, we've had a bunch of our players in our discord community already reaching out and asking for additional ways to earn aglet, you know, additional ways to, um, you know, move around in the world and and get these objects that they really want that they really desire and this is also how we're thinking of it so right now again you're you're in the app you're you're playing the game you're earning some aglet the core game loop walk around explore earn aglet and then kind of express yourself by acquiring and, and going shopping for these sneakers you'll never get in reality um but other ways that you could earn aglet would be if you think of the the interest graph or kind of the space graph, sneakers are at the core of global culture right now. Streetwear is at the core of global culture. And at the core is this one node in this bigger ecosystem. So that's, you know, sports, that's, you know, hip hop and, and, and music, that's art, um, that's, you know, events, uh, concerts, um, you know, jewelry, uh, cars, you know, I mean, it's, everything is learning, you know, building a brand creation, wanting to create your own fashion brand. How do you become a sneaker designer? Um, So all these things are there. And, you know, at the core is experiences, um, being creative, building your own brand, um, and also, you know, acquiring these objects of desire and then expressing yourself by flexing them. And what we're thinking of as, as our version of the metaverse is this, what we are calling on life OS, the on life operating system, which is again, this kind of game layer that's built into physical reality. So really anything that you do anywhere you go, whether it's I go to a restaurant or I go to a a, a Lakers game, or I go to museum of contemporary art in, in Chicago, or I go to a Houston Rockets game, or I go to complex con or a sneaker con or whatever it might be in the kind of interest graph of our community you can earn aglet. So it's all about what you're doing as you move around in this reality and whether it's checking in places or whether it's, you know, taking a, a course to learn how to do sneaker designs or, you know, interacting with Dan, our illustrator, to learn how to design digital sneakers or Jason Maiden, you know, learning, learning from him in a class or, you know, we do some partnerships or whatever. It's all about you moving around in this space and being able to improve and transform yourself, but also being able to accumulate this in-game currency that we have so that you can do then other things, right? And this becomes a platform where on Aglet, you can start to, as we were saying in that fourth part, build content and create your own assets, create your own brand. So what we're interested in is who is the next Virgil Abloh? You know, who is the next Tinker Hatfeld? Who is the next Jason Maiden? Um, we see a lot of people wearing all these sneakers from the archive. You know, I love me some Tinker Hatfield, but like we're still talking about shoes the guys cre- the guy created like 30 years ago. Like, who's gonna be the person that is the next in that generation? And how do we build a platform for visibility, but also for education, for learning, so that people can start creating their own fashion brands, their own um, uh, apparel, their own sneakers 
virtually on our platform into the game, you know? And then when they pop in the game, when they're popular in this environment, then you can manufacture them in reality. So it's not about the escape to the virtual world of an Animal Crossing making your virtual hoodies. It's all about this virtual layer that is then a, has a channel to reality where those things gain, you know, f a physical being as well, you know? So how we're looking at, at the development of Aglet is that ultimately it becomes kind of this, this, this game layer built in, into reality, um, sort of a, a reality OS or a spatial OS or yeah. what we're calling an on-life OS um, and having people able to build on top of that and for that reality you know, we have augmented reality uh, workflows that we're currently pursuing. We have all kinds of really cool brand partnerships that we're, that we're exploring as well. And we have, you know, the, the, the technology stack at the moment to be able to really explore these different ways of earning aglet, you know, earning gold aglet. We have a trading uh, platform, a selling platform that we're going to be opening up so that you can actually earn money from these virtual goods, whether it's your own brand or whether it's goods that you acquired in the shop. So this is, this is the kind of ambition and vision that we have as a company um, to try to create this, you know, the ultimate kind of game, the ultimate sneaker experience. And it's turning reality into, that's our island. Like I said, Fortnite has an island. Animal Crossing has an island. Our island is like the physical reality in which we all live and move and breathe during, the, you know, during our lives. We just want to build that game layer on top of it. And I think that's what something like what the metaverse will be. I'd agree with that.